The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Played that game for years. Trying to figure out if God really loves us or not. Based on the circumstances of my life, does he really love me or does he not? Does he really love me? You know, when things are going good, there's nothing easier for me to believe. When I'm healthy, when my joints move and I don't hurt, when I get out of bed, when I can play ball, and I'm not creamed in the end, man, he loves me. When, when, when our relationships are intact and going well, when there's no conflict, Man, it's a good place. He loves me. When I get a raise at work, and maybe that promotion, man, God, he loves me. He loves me. When we're on vacation, and I have both the time and the money to go, he loves me. But my confidence is damaged when I run into some trials, when I hit the wall and I come to the end of myself. When I was in second grade, I was walking home from school with some guys. One of them kind of gave me a little body check. I stepped off the sidewalk into the street and a car hit me. Came that close from running over my head God didn't love me. Had a friend of mine who we were breaking a pinata in school. The guy came up with a bat and he lost his grip. He took a full bat to the mouth. God didn't love him either. Linda and I have tried for years to have kids. We don't have kids not because we didn't want them, because we can't have them. Do you know how frustrating that is? God doesn't love me. I watched my dad, my hero, laying in a hospital bed in the living room, dying of bone cancer. Prostate cancer that went to the bone, very painful. And I couldn't fix it. God wouldn't fix it. I watched him die. I saw the light go out of his eyes. God doesn't love me. When gossip and lies became so overwhelming that I chose to resign from a church that I had started nine years prior to that, God does not love me. You see, these were the times that I really wondered what God thought about me. How could God say he loved me and just let me suffer? Help me understand that. And at least if he didn't fix the pain in me, what about the pain in those around? So at least they didn't have to suffer. My 
My disappointment could easily turn in one of two directions. I could get angry and I could yell at God just like Job did. And I could tell him how I deserved this, how I'd worked so hard that I wasn't that bad of a guy. God, this is why you need to do this in my life. And then in my more honest times, I see my own brokenness, my failures, my feelings of inadequacy. And these things I thought would surely separate me from God. And so I would resolve, yet once again, to work harder and try to be better to please God. And I bought into that do good, get good religious philosophy out there. I just need to try harder. But nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. You know, I've walked for most of my Christian life on this crazy tightrope. And even when bad things weren't happening, in the back of your mind, you're wondering when the the other shoe is going to drop. Can you relate to me? Have you felt like that? Yeah. When's the other shoe going to drop? I mean, this is good, but I'm not really sure what's going to happen next. Only in the last few years have I really come to believe that my concept of God's love for me was as crazy as trying to pull petals from a daisy. It didn't make any sense. That was a very emotionally taxing way to live. Once my heart began to really understand, I mean really understand God's love for me, things changed. And I have not been the same since. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. Now, I don't know who wrote this psalm, but I can tell you one thing about the person who did write it. And that is that this guy was absolutely new. He absolutely knew that God loved him through all the trials and the challenges in life. There are actually five different uh, portions to this psalm. As a matter of fact, I want you to stand up. Stand up. The first section, verses 1 through 3. Slide, please. I'm going to read the first part, and I want you to respond by reading the second part here. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His steadfast love endures forever. The next section here, verses 4 through 9, talk about how God created the, the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky and the heavens. He did that because his steadfast love endures forever. The third portion here has to do with how God saved the Jews from Egypt. And we're going to read that together. And actually what I want to do here, we're going to divide you right down the middle here. Sorry, guys. 
This is part A. This is part B. Part A, I want you to read the first line. Part B, I want you to respond to that. Okay? To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Do you believe that? You're not saying it like you believe it. Let's try, let's try the second one. And brought out, out from among them. There you go. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. Guys, this was major, major stuff for the Jews. Their back was against the wall. They had no hope. No hope unless God came through. And you know what? God came through. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. When we're in the tightest of spots, we need a miracle. And guess what happened? God did a miracle. He took what was bad and he made good out of it. The fourth portion here has to do with how God took his people from Egypt to Canaan. And so we're going to reverse the roles here. I want you guys to read the top part. I want you all to respond to that. Okay? And he made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever, forever. I want us to jump to verses 23, 24, and 25. And here he's talking about how God meets our present needs today. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. He rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. The very last verse here is a reminder to give thanks. Let's read it together. He says, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. You can have a seat. Did I tell you his steadfast love endures forever? We need to say it like we believe it. But here's the problem, guys. We don't really believe that. We can read these black words on a white page, but really in our heart of hearts, I wonder if we really believe that his steadfast love endures forever. A number of years ago, I wrote my own Psalm 136. And this time I took the circumstances in my life, the places where God had to do a miracle for me. And I could see in a, in a, in a much greater way God's faithfulness for me in my life. Because you know what? When you're in the middle of the trial, you don't see it. You don't get it. You're like, God, where are you? Let me plead my case. But you can look back. You can say, you know, God took this and he made it for good. And he took that. And he made it for good. So let's go back to our original question. How do you personally view the circumstances in your life? Can you be honest with yourself for a moment? I think we all know the right Christian answer. I don't want to go there. The reality is, how does the heart respond to this? To these things that happen in my life? I want us to look at Romans 8.28. 
Most of us have heard this verse a time or two. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. You see, not all things start out as good. Satan is alive and well. And guys, I hate to break it to you, but bad things happen to good people. They just do. Bad things happen to good people. We're in the midst of a a spiritual battle here, and that's a battle that we can't see or touch or feel with the flesh. Satan is out for blood when it comes to our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. There's a battle out there to be fought. But this is what he says. For those who love God, called out ones. He said, God's going to work everything together for good. That's the hope, or part of the hope that we have in life, is that God can take this crap that Satan throws at us and to show his hand in a very loving and strong way in our life. God takes what is, it just is, and he can use it for good. Let me tell you a little story. There was a, uh, there was a man who lived in the Middle East, his family, um, his wife, his son lived in a little hut. And the only thing of value they really had was, was this gorgeous Arabian mare. It's a horse. And it's almost like living in a tent and yet driving a new car. Go figure that. But this was a beautiful, gorgeous horse. Neighbors came over and they said, you know, that's, that's a beautiful horse. God must have had favor on your life. And he said, yeah, I've done something right. God is good. Well, he woke up one morning, and the horse had broken out of the corral. The horse was just, frankly, gone. He was heartbroken. The most important, valuable thing he had in life was gone. The neighbors came over, tried to console him, and he hung his head. He said, what did I do to deserve this? Why did God let this happen to me? That's a very bad thing. One morning, about a week and a half later, he woke up and he saw his horse back in the corral. And with that horse were three other wild stallions. They just went back home. And he ran outside and closed the fence, closed the gate. (laughs) He was so proud. He's like, look what happened here. His neighbors came over to see what happened. Beautiful horses. They said, man, this is good. This is so good. He said, I must be blessed by God. Look what God's done in my life. Well, his son thought, well, if I can break the stallion here, uh, if I can train him and sell him, we can have money and we can move out of a tent. And so he got on the stallion, and it wasn't just a second and a half, and that stallion bucked him, and he broke his leg. Compound fracture. Now, they didn't have little pins that you can just stick in your leg, and you'd be up the next day. This guy was bedridden. Confined to bad. His neighbors came over and said, what the heck just happened? Your son broke his leg. That's a very bad thing. And he hung his head and he said, why did God allow this to happen to me? I'm, why did God do this? That very next afternoon, the king sent some of his men through the area there. 
And they were taking all the able-bodied young men to go to war. The neighbor's sons went. Guess who didn't go? His son. They wouldn't take him. Neighbors came over all brokenhearted, but they were excited for him because his son didn't have to go to war. This is good. (laughs) You know, I could go on about this story. But the reality is this, is that we don't understand what's good and we don't understand what's bad, do we? We don't. We don't get it. All I know is simply what is. And we attach the label good and we attach the label bad. Is that not true? There we go. So is it really good? Heck, what do I know? I'm ignorant of life. I'm selfish on the inside. I want what's going to benefit me. And yeah, maybe this is good, but is it really good? Maybe not. If we own our stuff, we're the ones that attach labels saying good or bad. And we blame God if that label doesn't fit, don't we? Have you ever wanted to win a million bucks in a lottery? I talked to two people last night saying, hey, if we win the lottery... Only a million, yeah. Lottos go like $425 million anymore. The big, the big bucks, the big bucks. I worked with a guy a number of years ago. He said, God will never let me win the lottery. He said, and there's two reasons why. He says, number one, you can't win if you don't play. I don't play. But he said, secondly, if I did, I am convinced that money would destroy my life. I was thinking, new car, new boat, new house. So were they. They wrote a book on people who've won millions in Missouri in the last 15 years. And 90x percent of these people are in the doghouse today. They lost their family. They lost their fortune. They are far worse off than when they ever started. Do you know why? Because we thought that would be a good thing. And guess what? Maybe it wasn't. You see, if I would let God define the term good for me, if I'd give him that responsibility instead of taking that for myself, maybe I'd see life in a whole different light. If I'd let him define what's good and let him define what's bad. All I really know is what happens in any given point in time. It just, it, it just is. It just is. And I need to let a good and loving, caring God bring good out of whatever is. And he does that because he loves me. Because he loves me deeply and passionately and unconditionally. I am loved by God. So does this this story of the Arabian horse sound familiar? It did to me. I've lived a lot of my life trying to figure out where I stand with God. Am I on his good side? Am I on his bad side? How's it working for you? Because it didn't work very good for me. The reality is that God has never acted towards us in any way other than with a deep, deep love that absolutely defies human understanding. 
I know it may not look like that at times, but it's at that very point in our life that I begin to distort my concept of God in order to make my circumstances make sense. You understand what I'm saying? So if these two weird things don't fit together, then somehow, in my mind, I think it needs to fit, and so I will twist my concept of God to make this fit so that I understand it. And what happens is that I end up with a very warped and distorted concept of who God is. You know, I can even come up with a list of my own failures and shortcomings as to why God should not have mercy on my life. Because I don't deserve it. Because I'm not good enough. I start thinking like that, and I'm going to spiral downwards very quickly. I'm going to begin hating myself. God is good. I'm not. I just need to try harder. Isn't that the mantra of religion today? God is good. I am not. So, Bill, just work harder to the church. And we're all in this hamster wheel running at top speed, trying to figure out what it means to really earn God's favor. We're not getting anywhere. The reality is this, is that my perception is not God's reality. It's not. It's not. If I define God only by my limited experience or by my limited understanding, then I end up with a very twisted picture of who he is. And I'm going to come up with a concept of God that is totally different from the God who tells me who he is. In other words, I can believe what you say to be true about God or, or, or what my parents taught me to be true about God or what the church taught me to be true about God. Do I believe what God himself says to be true? No, I usually go to the other places. And then I try to make sense of things in my mind and I end up with this distorted concept of God. And for the rest of my life, I end up serving a twisted God of my own making. I don't know if, how many of us really understand what happened at the cross on Calvary. We don't really understand what happened between God the Father and God the Son. The degree of love for us that caused separation from them. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one, dwelt together in this unity since the beginning of eternity. John, how long is that? A lot longer than my little mind can wrap around. It's a long time back. They've lived like this because of me. They were willing to separate from this relationship for time. So that Jesus, who is fully God, fully man, could walk this earth and eventually die on the cross. For my sin and for my brokenness and for my rebellion, in order that he could bring me back up into this relationship with the Trinity. Now there's four the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and me. God wants to connect with me, God wants to relate with me, God wants to bring me in to this relationship that he has and that he's always had. Hebrews talks about the joy set before him. You know what that joy was? Everybody raise their hand. 
The joy set before him was you. You were worth enough for him to separate that relationship. So he could have one like that, bring you into this trinity, bring you into their relationship for all of eternity. Because of the cross, we can know who God is. And we can embrace a relationship with him that the deepest hearts of our, parts of our heart has always longed for. There's something in us that knows there's more than love that we've experienced today. It's only in the context of the relationship God desires with us that we can really begin to discover the glory of his love. So what we have to do is to go back to our concept of God. Who do you think God is? And what do you think God is like? If someone would give me a complete answer, I think we could with relative certainty predict this man's spiritual future. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our image of God. Think about it. If we see God as mean... We're going to begin to treat others meanly. If we see God as the great judge in the sky, then we're going to become like him. We're going to be very judgmental to those around us. If we see God as distant, we're going to distance our own relationships one from another. But if we see God as full of kindness and love, then we'll truly begin to exhibit those very same qualities that God is using to change our lives. Therefore, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now think about that. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind has gone to show that no people has ever risen above its religion And no religion has ever risen above its concept of God. None. And so our problem is that we have a very small and a very distorted view of God himself. I think a proper concept of God begins with our understanding the very essence of God. And that, frankly, would be his love. Take a look at this verse here in in 1 John. 1 John 4 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now John's stating a fact here. He's not giving a definition. He's just stating a fact. God is is love. And if we're going to begin to understand God, this is probably the most important big part of God that we have to wrap our soul around. That God in his essence is love. And it has to be a love that's far greater than we've ever known. Now guys, I like a good barbecue sandwich. I'll tell you what, I really love Penn Station french fries. <laughs> guys ever had those? They're huge baking potatoes. They cut them on the spot and they cook them up. And, and, and uh, okay, confession time. I, uh, I went to Penn Station one time and just ordered a large fry for lunch. 
yeah, baby, it's so good. But you know, the love that God has has got to be far greater than that. Go figure. The love that God has for me is greater than my wife. We're starting to talk like serious stuff here. French fries are serious. My wife is far more serious. You're welcome. (laughs) This love that God has for us transcends everything that we have ever, ever known. Ever. Look at uh, 1 John 4, 16. Eight verses later. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I want you to notice the first part of that verse. John realized the difference between knowing and believing in the love of God. What is the difference between knowing God's love and believing God's love? Any takers? Action? Okay. The heart. The heart, which results in action. You see, it's one thing to know the love of God. If I were to ask us a question today, how many believe God loves us? About every hand in the place should be raised. But does that mean we really know the love of God? Not necessarily. Let me give you an example. How many of you believe that God will provide and take care of your needs? We all raise our hand. So let's say Tuesday, you go into work, you get a pink slip. Guy says, clean out your desk, got 30 minutes and I'll escort you to the door. Why does the sweat break out on your forehead and your hand shake? And your heart begins to beat faster. That's because we really don't believe what we think we know. And this is the great journey in life for us, is God reconciling our head and our heart together. When we're put in a corner, how we respond is often exactly what we believe. And John says, we've come to both know and believe the love that God has for us. This is our hope, and this is God's heartbeat for us, that we both know and believe the deep, passionate, unconditional love that God has for me. Sadly, most of us spend our life trying to earn what's already been given. I look back at the years in my life. I see that's true. Trying to think I could do something more to please God, that I can get on his good side. It's all futile. If your hearts can get this, that we are really, truly loved by God, if we can get that, then we will rarely question God's affection for us. And there will never be a question about how hard we have to work to earn it. We're on a whole different page. God says you don't have to work. It's for, for by grace are we saved. It's not, it's not through works. Can you imagine how horrible heaven would be if we were saved by our works. And Doug's trying to tell me how much he worked to get there. And, and uh, 
And Ken starts telling me his story, and she starts telling me hers, and I'm thinking, this is getting pretty boring and pretty, uh, I don't want to hear that. You haven't heard my story yet. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. There's level, uh, it's level ground at the foot of the cross because nobody deserves heaven. None of us. What we deserve is hell. What God gave us was mercy. God holding back what we rightly deserve. He gave us grace. God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Instead of being afraid that he's turned his back on us, we'll be able to trust his love at the very moment that we need it the most. And you know, we'll see that in the, in the strangest ways how God's love can flow out of us and touch a world that is so starved for that. Once we get this, we can really tell others because you know what? We have some good news. I have some good news to share with you. Look at this verse in 1 John, uh, chapter 4. Nope. Uh, 319, actually. This is what it says. It says, we love because he first loved us. That's probably chapter 4. We love because he first loved us. I'm able to love you guys, not because I'm such a good guy. Ask my wife. I'm not. The love that you experience from me is only because I have been loved by God. Think about it this way, guys. I can't give what I don't have. If I want to give you a dollar and I don't have a dollar, what's going to happen? I can't do it. So the place to start is by saying, God, I'm broken, I'm needy, I have nothing. And once God begins to give to me, then I have something to give to others. I cannot love you unless I've been loved. And the more I am loved, the more I have to give. And I can love you and you and you. I go out those doors and I can love the the guy who cleans my carpets. I can love the lady at the restaurant. I can love people. Because I have a story to tell, and it really, really is good news. How would your life change if you knew, without a shadow of a doubt, that you were completely loved unconditionally by God? How would your life be different? Would it be different? I think so. This is what's at stake. We can't not think about this. My heart's crying. It's been this way for a while. Said, God, help me. Help me, Lord, know to a greater degree how much you love me. It's been the cry of my heart. Because I can't get this on my own. I can't get this on my own. It's almost as if God has to reveal this to me. God has to take off the blinders of my heart and help me to see. Because you know what? There's a lot of stuff between me and God. And I have to own that and say, Lord, these, there's some blocks in my life. Lord, would you take that away? Would you help me to see how you see me? Would you help me know what it means to live loved? Would you help me know what it means to simply receive the love of God? I think of a cat. I've shared this before. On a day, I'm allergic to cats, by the way, so... I've seen other cats. But on a winter's day, it'll find itself a little place on the couch in the sunshine. 
here it just lays out. And just soaks up the, the warmth of the sun on that cold day. He basks in it. You see, God created us to live in a place of joy. But we let anger and fear and sadness crowd around us. And because we don't properly deal with those, we don't live in this place of joy. But this is what God has created us to live. To live loved. Last verse here. 1 John 3, 3. He says, uh, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. End quote. That is what we are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I read these things. Lord, my heart longs to believe that they're true. It whets this appetite in me, God, to say, Lord, I just want to experience this. And Lord, I thank you for the tastes that I've had over time. I thank you, Lord, for where I am today, Lord, but I know there's so much more to go. Lord, I want to learn what it means to live loved. I want to know what it means to to have my life radically changed so that what I do and where I go and what I say and how how I say it is different because I know that I know that I'm unconditionally, deeply, passionately loved by God. Lord, I long for that. I long for us for that. Lord, I can press into you, Lord, but I can't make myself see it. I just own my inability to make myself see that. So, Lord, would you be gracious to me? Would you be gracious to us? Would you help me to see what I don't see? Would you help me experience something that I've never experienced much of before? Would you help me to know more and more and more every day, more and more and more, God, your deep, personal, passionate love for me? We're going to sing a couple of songs here. And that's what I encourage you to do is maybe keep your eyes closed if you want to, open if you want to. But I want you to think about what I've said this morning. I want the cry of your heart to be, God, would you be gracious to me? Over here in the back corner. God, would you see my heart? Would you see my life? Would you be gracious to me? Would you help me see you in a way that I've never seen you before? Change my life, God. Help me to see you for who you say you are. If we've got this distorted concept of God that we just hold it with an open hand and say, Lord, I've been holding on to this. I don't think it's true. But Lord, would you reveal yourself to me? Who you are. Help me, Lord, learn what it means to live loved.